0: Hey friends, welcome to The Ian Khan Show. Today's guest is Zoltan Istvan. He's a best-selling author, professional speaker, and a world-renowned futurist. He was the 2016 U.S. presidential nominee of the Transhumanist Party. Hi, welcome to The Ian Khan Show. Today I have with me Zoltan Istvan. He's a futurist, and has got some really interesting th- interesting things to tell us about uh, being transhuman, and and a lot of what comes with that. Please give a warm welcome to Zoltan. Zoltan, welcome to The Ian Khan Show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Now, first of all, before we even get started, we are here because Aftershock connected us. So as part of the Aftershock episodes, I am interviewing everybody who's contributed to the book, and we have 50 different futurists from across the world, from different areas uh, of business who contributed to it. And you have a really interesting article in there, my friend, you talk about being transhuman. Tell us who you are, first of all, and what is being transhuman?
1: Sure, well, you know, um, as I said, my name is Zoltan Ishwan. I'm formerly a journalist with National Geographic, and now I write a, a wide, you know, at a wide variety of places, including the New York Times opinion section but a lot of people know me as a science and technology advocate specifically um arguing for people living dramatically longer through the use of transhumanist technologies. And just in case your audience doesn't know fully, transhumanism is a social movement now of many millions of people around the world that want to use science and technology to upgrade the human body and also to upgrade the human experience. And so it can be anything like the chip implant I have in my hand. It can also be things like uh, giving exoskeleton suits to those who who are disabled. It can be things like robotic eyes for the blind. But whatever it is, it's radical technology applied to the human body.
0: And so this technology that we're applying to the human body, and as you said, is potentially an implant, but you also mentioned an exoskeleton, which necessarily is not an implant, but it's outside your body. But you're using robotics and you're using technology to do something to the human body or for uh, something for the human body. Is this a revolution that's brewing right now? Is this fully at scale? Where are we with respect to being transhuman? as of 2020?
1: Well, you know, as of 2020, most able-bodied people are not truly uh, transhuman, you know, because uh, I only, like for example, I have a chip implant and I take some nootropics for brain, uh, you know, cognitive function, but we're not at that level, unless you're like a a veteran and you were fighting in Afghanistan and lost a leg, and we put on a robotic leg that allows you to walk or a robotic arm that tied to your neural system, you're really not a cyborg or transhuman yet. But probably within the next five to 10 years, we will start electively changing our bodies. And that can be anything from an artificial heart to you know, a robotic eye that uh, replaces your eyeball or um, you know, different types of implants. And also this day and age, whenever you get something put in your body, it's already usually a trackable device. People are having artificial kidneys and things like that, or there's 3D printing or stem cell injections. Mm-hmm. So we're, we are entering that age, but we're really at the doorstep of it. We're not, we'll be there more in five and 10 years.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is stopping us from, from moving forward, or what exactly do we need as an accelerator to do this, to do more of it?
1: Well, I'd say, you know, especially in America, but around the world too, a lot of what's stopping us might be our cultural conditioning and people being overly religious. You know, in, in America, for example, uh, you know, the, the idea is don't put things into your body because that kind of violates what we call the human, uh, you know, the, the beauty of the human body, this, what we think is of as perfection. But most transhumanists do not believe that the human body is perfect. They are sort of secular in nature and they want to upgrade it. But right now, our president, the entire Congress, all nine Supreme Court justices, everybody's sort of like, oh, we don't want to live forever. or We don't want to modify our human bodies because we have religious values that would prohibit that or get in the way of that. So I think if we can sort of get over that, We might be more encouraged to join the transhumanist age. And this is why I think actually China is starting to lead the transhumanist revolution is they are a secular nation. They don't have the same hangups that maybe many Americans might have when it comes to putting things inside our body or it comes to maybe understanding that the human being might become a machine one day. Yeah. And you
0: mentioned an interesting thing. And I'm very skeptical generally by nature because you have to be as a futurist. When people say that they do not want to live forever, that's I think that's something that they might say publicly, but you never know what, what everybody's doing. Because there's, I've seen in the past, and as of right now as well, I've uh, traveled the world extensively. And there's a huge industry, in especially in Central America, where uh, gene therapy, hormone therapy, and all these therapies to create longe- longevity extend your life lifespan and and, you know billionaires and rich people go to these countries to get all these treatments so i think there's a huge world out there that literally wants to extend their life by another 50 or 100 years or whatever it is Uh, but then an average person uh like you and i or whoever is out there walking on the streets um they don't think about living an extra 100 years people are generally trying to live today and make today work and make, blend the next few years. I think that's what an average person lives in. But the idea of being transhuman is very revolutionary, as, as you mentioned. Uh, and as devices and as 3D printing becomes more dominant and prominent, uh, I think it's 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 also about how cheap, how economical or how feasible it is to, uh, to kind of have a heart that's 3D printed. Uh, I recently read that they had uh, created 3D printed heart in the lab. It was a really small heart, but then it had all the muscles that, that are required to make it work. Uh, are you seeing uh, breakthroughs like that uh, as well, uh, given, uh, given the nature of your work?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, the the team that did that, uh, an Israeli team, they recently suggested or said that they believe that within 10 years, some of the world's top hospitals will probably have 3D printers that can start 3D printing a wide variety of different parts of the human body, including some organ. You know, right now we're able to kind of create this tiny beating heart, but it's still a far distance from a real heart that can be exchanged. And heart disease, of course, is the number one killer in the world. And so we, th- we, there's a lot of money and there's a lot of reason to try to produce a 3D printed heart. I think we're going to get there and I'd say within 10 or 15 years, we may be able to actually control heart disease either through 3D printing hearts or through stem cell injections, which is another uh, way that they're trying to tackle heart disease. Of course, the, the, the holy grail of medicine is the bionic heart. Why go to flesh when you can go to something machine made that can last a thousand years and, and also, you know, do things like on your phone, you could slow down your heart when you want to sleep or you can speed it up when you want to have crazy sex or you want to surf giant waves. I mean, the future is not only just biology. The future is really probably replacing the biology, which in itself is fragile and itself is terminal to something that's more bionic and machine made. And that's, you know, but it's what's really interesting about the transhuman age. Is there are all these competing technologies, whether it's stem cells or 3D printing or it's bionics. And we don't know which one's going to win, but yeah. they're all in the right direction, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we could, we could be talking about an artificial heart, an artificial liver, an artificial spleen, artificial kidneys. Um, I don't know if there's also talk about an artificial brain, which brings me to the point of Neuralink and this new company funded by Elon Musk that's putting research into implanting electrodes in, into your head and then doing something with it. Do you know more
1: about it? Well, you know, I know a little bit about it, of course, and you know, I would say a significant amount compared to other people. First off, these companies like Neuralink and uh, 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 Colonel of uh, Brian Johnson's company, they keep a lot of the information very close because we're t- I mean, if you could start uploading your thoughts and connecting in real time to the cloud and the internet, we're talking about trillion dollar companies because this changes the way you can work. I mean, we can do this podcast in our head. We didn't even need computers then. And all of a sudden there's so much money involved. So they are closed companies. They don't want to share much information, but there's no, um, there's really no doubt in my mind within the next 10 years. And certainly probably within five years, we'll see human experiments where we are going to have implants that do connect us to AI that do have Google maps in our head that do allow us to have basic recognition and maybe trade stocks online and probably again when you start doing things like the robotic eye come you know the robotic eyes also will be tied directly to the brain and there are a number of people on planet earth that already have this fda approved device and they can see for example close up better than our human eye can already see and that connects directly to the brain but what the various companies and also universities are working on is when can we start having facebook through this robotic eye um when can we kind of stream information into our brain directly through this? And, and then it becomes this whole different world because now it's no longer just, um, now we're truly augmented yeah. and we start combining this technological cloud world into yeah. our heads directly. And, and I'd say, you know, if, if there are already trials going on with some of this stuff, but mm. it's probably within five to 10 years that we might start electively being able to do it, at least the very rich at first, and then hopefully everybody. I mean, you know, unfortunately, the way it works, not unfortunately, but the way it works is technology often gets into the hands of the rich first. <laughs> and, uh, and then later it filters through the system. And, you know, um, hopefully, though, when you talk about kind of implants and things that really change our consciousness, yeah. uh, everybody will have access
0: absolutely so let me go back to let me go back to the book and in the book you really shared a, a lot of different insights and you say and i'm quoting from the book the transhumanist age is upon us driven by the nearly exponentially evolving microchip and it's about to get weird for humans our species may not even resemble mammals by the 22nd century so that's the amount, that's the extent that you predict or you're you're expecting the world to change if things go the way they are presently going uh, tell me a little bit about the Transhumanist Party. What is,
1: what is, what is the Transhumanist Party? Sure. So, you know, the Transhumanist Party was a political party that I formed in 2014, the very first kind of political party that represented radical science and technology in America. And I was its first nominee uh, for president in 2016, and I ran for the party. And we had a really great campaign over two years, and we got a lot of attention. I'm now running as a presidential candidate in the 2020 race as a Republican. Uh, one of the problems with the transhumanist party is that it's, it's very difficult to get ballot access, and it's very expensive in all the states. It costs about $25 million to get ballot access in all states. So I'm running for a different party. But I still support the transhumanist party. They have their own nominee um, this year in 2020. And I'm, I'm really excited that the transhumanist party has grown into this kind of the dominant science party in the United States. It's, it's yeah. really nice to see.
0: Yeah. And this is not happening anywhere else in the world. I mean, you don't see a lot of parties. We have the marijuana party here in Canada. So that's, that says what we're all about right now and what the focus of certain groups is. But I really hope uh, a party such as that, the transhumanist party as one one of the examples really, really finds its feet and really does something good because I think it's a great, it's a good direction to go into. Uh What, what drives you, uh, Zoltuan, What what drives you, to 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 be a supporter of transhumanists? what is it that you see in it that's that's worth pursuing?
1: Amy, I, I, you've so, sort of frozen. Okay, now okay. you're back. Uh, Did <laughs> you get my question? Yes, yes, I got it. Got Perfect, it. Perfect. Go ahead. Um, I was, uh, you know, ultimately, I was a journalist at National Geographic covering conflict zones. And I had a very close call with a landmine in Vietnam. And um, it made me really think about what would have happened if I had died or I had been maimed terribly. And so after that incident, I came back to America, wrote a book called The Transhumous Wager. And really, essentially, the the concept of the Transhumous Wager is you dedicate your life to using science and technology to overcome death as your primary purpose in life. And that's really what my primary purpose has been since that. So instead of like, for example, Pascal's Wager, where you might dedicate your time to God, the transhumanist wagers, you dedicate your time to science so that you can overcome death. And this novel I wrote took off, became a bestseller, and did very well, and sort of launched uh, my career as a public figure pushing transhumanism. And of course, that's how the transhumanist party followed and other political campaigns. But what motivates me is not dying, especially having covered war zones and conflict zones where I have seen some death. And I can tell you, it's, you know, it's a tragedy. So really I'm motivated by not dying and almost my every single day, what I do is around that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Let me ask you about a few uh, of the things that we're seeing in the world right now, as an example, and maybe help us understand, can technology help with, creating a solution to these things or what is happening. First of all is the coronavirus. It's happening right now. Everybody's talking about it. It's in the news. It's spreading. There's so many different sides to it. What are your thoughts about technology being able to predict disease or being, uh, if you talk about being transhuman, that our bodies are able to um, counter the impact of such breakouts, break you know, epidemics and, and, and a bunch of other disease. What, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, to first off, you know, and I'm, I will make probably a public announcement today about the coronavirus. Uh, I, I think the coronavirus has a very good shot at becoming significantly more problematic for the human race. And really, front page in New York Times right this moment, it's a headline saying the CDC is warning Americans to prepare. So as a result, in the last few days, I have accumulated a ton of canned food, a lot of water, a lot of gasoline, and started prepping. Because uh, we just, you know, when you talk about these... A kind of quarantine processes they, they can sometimes take up on uh, you know most people aren't going to die first. what people don't realize is what a hassle it is to undergo an actual quarantine process so i just just a public note that you know i, I do think people should prepare for it but you know as a transhumanist what we really want to do is eradicate all disease and if i was for example to win the presidency in some miracle um then i would spend an enormous amount of government dollars to create a vaccine for not only coronavirus, but any sort of flu system out there. There are a number of medical people out there that think we could have a universal vaccine for flu. We've just never spent the money and the time on it. There are companies working on it. They need resources and they need government help to push these things to the system so that we can never have a SARS or a MERS or a coronavirus again. And we can also get rid of the flu. I mean, transhumanist's main goal is really to eliminate all disease over time. Just like we might have done with polio or some of these other diseases. Maybe we didn't eradicate it completely, but for all practical purposes, we did. And I think cancer can have a vaccine, too. So, you know, we should we should tackle these things with real resources. Why do we fight wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and places like that? Why don't we fight a war against disease, cancer, Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, diabetes, obesity?
0: Absolutely. And I, I completely agree. Uh, but I, I made a, a blog entry today with on uh, on coronavirus, and uh, really it was the same thoughts that we have to prepare. And, uh, you know, it's, it's better to take that precaution rather uh, than anything else. Uh, as our bodies become transhuman, as we become, uh, we head to this age of the singularity, as many people, some people in future circles talk about, uh, and we become a neural race. We are half machine, half human, or X amount of our bodies is is um, uh, is robotics or technology connected to technology. How will we interact with with the world around us? Like we'll have, definitely have by then autonomous cars, smart homes, smart infrastructure. Are, do you expect our bodies to interact with our surroundings and and
1: make decisions accordingly? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of things will be AI based. I mean, it'll just, you know, for example, if we have the neural implant and our brain sort of tells the cloud or a car or a house that it's a little bit too cold, it will recognize these things immediately. Maybe the heater in the house would turn up immediately or a car would say, oh, don't go to this parking spot, but go park in the garage over there. I mean, there's a lot of interconnectivity that we can have built into our brain As long as we have technology that's readily available there with our brainwaves and thoughts, but it's also just little things like, you know, even the chip implant that I have in my hand, I no longer have to carry house keys. I'm a surfer. I'm a jogger. Um, Carrying keys has always been a problem whenever I did sports. So I'm happy I don't have to carry keys. And the same thing with cars. I can start a car with my implant. I can do, you know, trade Bitcoin. So yes, I'm looking forward to a day when it's just much more functional. It's just like getting rid of the keypad on the phone. It's, it was a good thing to get rid of a keypad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was speaking to a few other people from, uh, of course, who are authors and contributors to the book. Uh, and we talked about you know space travel, we've talked about healthcare, we've talked about so many different things. What are some of your favorite technological breakthroughs that you would like to see in your lifetime um, whether it's the next 20, 50, or 100 years, what is it that you're looking forward to? Apart well, from being transhuman, that is.
1: Sure, I, I think the the one thing I'm really looking forward to is designer babies. Um, you know, I have two children, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and um, it's it's worrisome that you have to still like worry about leukemia. You have to still worry about different diseases. Like one of my, my five-year-old had the flu two weeks ago and she had 103 fever and you know You start getting to 104, 105 and you can talk about brain damage. So we can genetically make it so that kids can be resistant to cancer. Kids can be um, resistant entirely to flu. They may not need a vaccine because it was built with the inability to get the flu. We can make them taller. We can make them stronger. I really like this idea that we can take a designer baby and make it into a perfect human being. And that would be our offspring, have none none of the flaws that I have. I have heart disease running in my family. I'm a little bit chubby these days. I mean, you can do these things in the designer baby age, and we're really there. The problem is that society might not be ready for it. They're kind of like, oh, you're messing with people too much. But for those of us who have children, I want my child to be as strong and healthy as possible.
0: Absolutely, definitely. I mean, for parents, it's something top of the list, you know, seeing your children being healthy and, and thriving. Uh, but I think in today's date and age with, with uh, you know, global travel so common and the emergence of uh, things such as SARS or MERS or the, the coronavirus, I think is just one of the things that there could be worse things out there that could happen. And And while I don't believe the coronavirus as an example is super bad, there could be worse things that could happen that could spread really fast how do we tackle that in the future and what's uh, you know how can we anticipate that uh and and prepare for it uh one of the f- movies uh with um i think it's called pandemic uh with uh with matt damon in it it's it's an amazing movie that just is a tells the story of the spread of coronavirus and it was made six or seven years ago right so we already know that some things are possible And how do we, how do we become more aware of it?
1: Yeah. And and I, and I would entirely uh, tell your audience to watch that movie pandemic because the very first thing I did when I heard about coronavirus, it's a very realistic assessment of how the world can sort of fall apart. It's not that it becomes this complete apocalypse, but it's like, what happens when you can't go to the pharmacy? What happens when you can't get food? What happens when no one picks up the trash for a month? I mean, life can change quite dramatically. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Zoltan, are you reading any books right now, any recommendations for our our listeners?
1: You know, uh, I've recently put out my own books, and because I'm on the presidential campaign trail, I really don't have any time for reading. Um, But, uh, you know, there's a number of books that I've put out, and your audience is welcome to just Google my name and come across those. But uh, I, uh, sadly, have not had time for reading recently.
0: Okay, no no worries at all. Where can our audiences find you? Where is this website where we can go and learn more about you and check your books out?
1: My, my transhumanist work is really at ZoltanIshwan.com, but my presidential campaign currently is at Zoltan2020.com. They're interconnected, so you can go from one to the other. But um, yeah, if you, you know, I think the main thing about me is over the last six years, I've written about 230 opinion essays. So if you want to have any subject you're interested in, you want to find out more about my work, just Google my name and that subject, and you'll have a very good chance of finding one of my articles that's come out in mainstream media.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, obviously Aftershock is available on, I believe on uh, Amazon. I'm not sure if it was on pre, pre-launch right now, a few weeks ago. I'm not sure if it's really out right now, but it is available on Amazon. So I'm highly recommending everybody to find a copy and, uh, and get it and learn from, it's really thick as well. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a, it's a good read. Uh, Zoltan, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and I hope our readers are able to find you, support you in your campaign, and just learn from you and your uh, your teachings uh, over the years and your work as a as a transhumanist. Well, thank you so much for having me, and it's been great talking to you. All right, you take care. Thank you so much. Hey, friend. This is Ian Khan. If you liked what you saw on my video, then please subscribe to my YouTube channel and be inspired every single day with innovative content that keeps you fresh updated and ready for the future for more information also visit my website at encon.com.